The great Boz has spoken. Good morning. Welcome to the land of Boz with Jeff Bosley. Good morning, afternoon, evening. I don't know. Whatever. It is Wednesday, October 3rd, and this is the land of Boz. A little glimpse into the uh, Tourette's-like polypolar existence that is me. And uh, I condense it into one podcast of chaos and enjoyment, entertainment, and motivation. So, uh, happy hump day. Let's do it. So, good morning, everyone. Hope everyone's having a good day. My day, as always, started out with time at the gym, and uh, it's been a unique day. Um, today's the, one of the days I volunteered at a horse ranch, and uh, I don't know, man. I don't know how you can't not like horses. I think you must have, you might not have a soul if you don't like horses, um, but I spent some time there, and it's always peaceful, uh, and it only proves how, if you can find your therapeutic thing, like I'm not even there like for equine therapy. I'm there and I help take care of the horses and uh, we'll ride them and all that. And they are used for equine therapy and lessons. But if you can find your metaphorical therapy or literal, I guess, it's amazing because I had just prior to that left um, a horrendous debacle at the VA. Um, sadly, most of the stories you hear about the VA are true. It's a disaster. There are good people within it, but the system itself is drastically flawed. So, um, I won't get too deep into it, but I am a very diligent and, um, multi-tiered, uh, planner and, uh, very meticulous, especially when there's a time constraint and, uh, there's a little bit of chaos or crisis involved. So I do my due diligence to make sure everything is smooth or at least I've checked and rechecked and checked again. And only something as powerful as the VA can uh, combat all the work I put into something. And they, uh, they did not disappoint. The uh, system is a disaster. And uh, yeah, I was leaving the VA very, very frustrated. But um, I went, I actually was half tempted to not go into the ranch today just because I was that frustrated. But I did. I went out there. And as soon as I got out to the country, smelled a little bit of manure and horse smell. I knew it was going to be a good morning, and that helped start my day off on a on a good note. And I I just kind of I guess I would say find that for you guys is something I want to pass on to people because I mean I'm not anybody that knows me knows I'm not really a jaded guy, but I'm also not a walking ball of you know let the universe decide my happy place optimism. So I, I I need to do better at that, and I realized that today where I can use that use that kind of stuff to set me uh, try to set myself up for success. So um, find your find your thing um whatever it may be and it might not be the same every day but if you can find that i definitely do believe even though it frustrates me and i roll my eyes i do believe that if you can in incept yourself with some sort of positivity at the start of the day it can create a good day i mean think about it if you start your day off really shitty it feels like the rest of your day's the same well there's probably a reason is you're in the headspace to not allow uh or to allow crappy things to continue happening or affect you crappily so inversely, the same should be able to be said in that if you start yourself on off on an optimistic day, should or on op, on an optimistic note, it should give you an optimistic day. So I need to do better at that. One of the things I always do, real I've mentioned it before, is on the way to the gym or if I'm stuck in traffic, I really try to listen to like stand-up comedy albums um, on Spotify or elsewhere just to help get my mind in the right place or at least laugh. Because again, you laugh at something, it kind of helps. Excuse me. Good Lord. We're already off to a good start. <laughs> already yawning. <laughs> I'm making myself tired. So do that. Find your optimism. Find your little happy space and uh, see what that does for you. Another thing I wanted to do to address. It's funny because somebody mentioned on a picture somewhere. I had these two little scars on my forehead. This is very disjointed. I know these two little scars on my forehead. And this just goes to show how incepted I was as a child when it came to uh, being influenced by TV or television or movies or, or the world of pretend. So I have these two scars on my forehead, pretty much dead center side by side, about the size of a pencil eraser. And what they are is I had a G.I. Joe growing up and he had a scar on his face. And I was innocent and ignorant enough that when I asked my mom how he got those, uh, I asked my mom, oh, I stand corrected, okay, so I had chicken pox. And um, I knew my G.I. Joe that I thought was cool had a scar on his face. 
and my mom said don't pick the chicken pox because you'll get a, you'll get scars i trans i didn't know the reality of the scar matches the uh, wound if you will so i assumed if i scratched off my chicken pox i would have the cool scar like the gi joe so i consciously scratched off the two on my forehead and then my mom caught me and and said you're a moron <laughs> she actually didn't say that, but uh, to whomever on that picture posted and commented on that, that's why I have scars right dead center on my forehead. Um, I guess those are my beauty marks of uh, childhood innocence. So um, don't pick scars, kids. Uh, chicken pox is real, and don't pick off the scabs because you will get scars, and you will not look cool like a G.I. Joe. And then lastly, somebody wanted me to, uh, somebody addressed on another picture, um, mentioning, actually, I was sorry, I was talking to my, uh, my neighbor, uh, down the street and we were talking about how, like, there's a big post about Mark Wahlberg and his workout routine and his daily routine. And it's a little nuts. And I wanted to touch on, uh, uh, over the years, many have asked me kind of like, oh my God, you start your day so early and all that. What do you do? And I figured, hey, this might be a time to, you know, this is kind of my day in the life of segment before I get into the rest of the show. I figured I'd kind of walk you guys through my morning. A lot of people always asked, and I figured I'd never gave a play-by-play um, without getting too long-winded or boring. Um, uh, lately, I come hell or high water, my alarm is set. My alarm is set. Oh, fail. I hope you guys didn't hear that. For those of you in the room, turn your phones off. That's just me, so I screwed that up. So I will silence my notifications. Uh, so I start my day off at 3 a.m. come hell or high water unless I went to bed absurdly late and um, the reason for that is consistency most sleep hygiene experts uh, sleep doctors etc talk about uh, consistency is more is borders on more important than quantity of sleep obviously there's a set quantity that's good for you to rest but if you're sleeping in and up and down and all over the place left and right it's it's that inconsistency is equally as damaging if not more damaging for your sleep quality and your restful restfulness so i pretty much go to bed about the same time every night give or take an hour sometimes two but come hell or high water i start my day at 3 a.m and that's also because i want to get to the gym before it's busy uh, cause that really sucks. So if I'm really exhausted, I'll wake up, go to the gym, come back and go to bed for a bit. Ironically, as I'm yawning during this, uh, so I'll wake up at three. Um, you know, probably have to do what people do, go to the bathroom. Um, I get some coffee going. I use a French press and, uh, so I start with some water boiling, get some coffee going. I honestly wash my face. A lot of people find this silly, but whatever. I wash my face with cold water and noxema because it seems to wake me up. It's a splash of cold water in my face and Noxzema has some weird chemical minty smell that kind of just seems to wake me up and stimulate the senses. No science behind it. I have no hippie backup for why I like it or it works. It just does. Now, the reason I picked Noxzema is because I used it in college and it brought brings back a little nostalgia of uh, neat little memories. So I'll wash my face, do that, um, and then uh, head to the kitchen, get my uh, French press and have a cup of coffee and that's normally when I'll check to make sure I didn't miss any like actual important emails or, or even on social media. Sometimes there's an important comment or something worth uh, looking into as far as a comment or, or a post. So I'll do kind of a quick rundown while drinking my coffee and doing that. Once that coffee's done, I um, uh, sit down and I, one of the things I do daily um, is I, I, do, I, I meditate and I do transcendental meditation. And for those of you who don't know what that is, to not get too deep into the weeds about it, is it's not meditation where you you think like these, oh, today's going to be a good day. Today's going to be a good day. It's, it's not like you sit there and do that or think ohms. Transcendental meditation, the best, uh, the gentleman who helped is helping spearhead its kind of modern push is a gentleman named Bob Roth, I think is the name of his book or the name of the author. I can't find the book. I have it out somewhere. But he, uh, he, he, he explained transcendental meditation in the mind as, think about an ocean. There can be a crazy hurricane above, and then you go down below, deep, deep down below, and the water's still calm. Transcendental meditation helps you transcend that. So the mind can be going a million miles an hour, but there's a way to get down into that, that calm state. And transcendental meditation and its practices helps you achieve that. And it's a 20-minute session twice a day, and I do that. Uh, if you're curious, look into it. I, I learned it through the David Lynch Foundation. So once that's done, um, I get all dressed. I get Izzy. Uh, we go out for a walk. Um, where I just moved, there's a huge um, business uh, park 
next door and at 4 a.m. at that point it's completely empty so I leash her over across the street and then we go uh, she gets plays out in the um, the grass areas she probably does her business I put her business in a poop bag and we come back and then uh, at that point um, I yeah at that point I pack up and then head to the gym hit the gym come home shower and thus the chaos of the day begins so that is my morning in a nutshell Um, people have asked I hope that helps and uh, a couple things I do, the reason I do all that consistently is I preach this to a lot of people is, is most jobs and careers, you have control of your day before the day starts. Like if you can set up that pattern and that ritual that sets your day up for success, because a lot of us don't have the, uh, the luxury of being able to control our day to an extent. So I'm at the mercy of this city and auditions and jobs in Hollywood. So if I wait till the later in the day to work out, or if I wait to, you know, have my personal meditation time, odds are it's going to get interrupted by some outside force. Three, four, five, six, and seven o'clock a.m. Odds are nothing is going to interrupt that. So that's why I really preach that morning ritual, and it's really important to me. And I, I don't. It, it's got very little negotiation for me. Um, it's, it's got a high percentage of discipline with a minor, a uh, little bit of percentage of obsession, but you know, they kind of go hand in hand. I always look at like a brain surgeon. People always, you know, call me obsessed or OCD, but I I look at people I, I respect and, and like to emulate. And I, I would rather, I think they are where they are because they're a little off like that. You know, like think of a brain surgeon. If anybody I want to be OCD, I want it to be some sort of neurosurgeon because I want them to be kind of psycho psychopathically obsessed with details. So that's how I start my day. And that's why I start my day the way I do. And it's really important to set yourself up for success. I'm not as good as the uh, kind of the I always joke about it the hippie aspect of why I do it as for uh, you know purifying my thoughts. My, my guest Alicia on Tuesday uh, is she's really good about those thoughts creating a day for her, and I need to be better at that. So that's my day. Uh, we'll touch on a little bit more of the stuff I chimed in on. If you have any questions or anything, Jeff or uh, fans at jeffbosley.com. So all right, we are going to move on to the next segment of the show. Here we go. So what do we have for this fine Wednesday? What has happened? How did we get where we got? So let's look at this day in history. Extra, extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, extra. So this day in history for October 3rd. Some juicy stuff. Remember back in 1995, I do, I was at a cabin in Island or near West Yellowstone, Montana going fly fishing when I heard about the O.J. Simpson not guilty verdict. Today, October 3rd, 1995, the Football Hall of Fame running back O.J. Simpson is found not guilty for the murders of his ex-wife and her friend Ronald Goldman. It was the trial of the century. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch the uh, docu-series on uh, Netflix, which I believe was just called O.J. I can't remember. Go watch it. And moving on. 1955 marked the debut of this wonderful, wonderful show. All right, I give up at that point. They didn't have the actual one I needed. (laughs) 1955, the Mickey Mouse show debuts on ABC. Many a famous person came from this show and many... A deranged child was raised on this TV show. Uh, a lot of um, interesting people I came from that show that um, aren't aren't um, sometimes the pillars of normalcy. And I'm uh, moving on on this day in 1920, the first game of the NFL. Boy, things have come a long way with the NFL. Won't even get into that. Moving on, what else happened on this day? I lost it. What was it? It had something to do with... Oh, God, it was so good. Wait, one. It's the horn music. Horn music. Oh, here it is. Found it. On this day of death, 2004, October 3rd. We could all have a career such as her. Janet Lee 
passed away this day in 2004. She was the victim, the stabbing shower victim in the 1960 uh, film Psycho, not the remake. And I'm kind of a movie connoisseur. No idea if she was in anything else or what it was. So she screamed in a shower and has been immortalized with that music and that scene. So here is a tip of the hat to Janet Lee. And lastly, we examine a little bit of history why Wednesday is called Hump Day. I was truly hoping for a really clever, cool urban dictionary reason beyond the obvious. But sadly, in my quote research, I didn't find anything cool other than it is what we think it is. It's the middle of the work week, used in the context of climbing the proverbial hill to get through a tough week. So Hump Day is not any more clever than what we've made it. I wanted a cool story for why today is called Hump Day. But there is no good reason, so thank you. We now come to the part of the show where I talk about things that I deem nerd, which really kind of is all-encompassing for me because that could be movies, books, podcasts, any sort of media, or any things I'm secretly passionate about. So let's talk nerd. Today I want to talk about horror movies. Last night I watched a horror movie, or two horror movies for that matter, and I for the life of me just forgot what they were called. But horror movies are awesome. I think people should watch them more. Um, if they're not your thing for religious beliefs or you just don't believe in them, uh, that's cool too. But I think any horror movie that can truly make you uncomfortable is, as, is a success. And it doesn't necessarily have to be blood and guts. It just can be thriller and suspense and clever plot lines. Um, last night's on the menu, God, what was the name of them? They were on some random, uh, channel dedicated to horror movies called Shudder, S-H-U-D-D-E-R. It's like a horror movie channel where they kind of, um, accumulate all horror movies. Most of them were like kind of unknown ones, which kind of made it fun. So the video quality or the production value isn't through the roof. However, the first one I saw had kind of elements of, um, almost like Saw and, uh, Hostel. So it was anybody that knows Hostel was a really graphic torture um, horror movie. Lots of they didn't pull many punches, and I believe it was directed by Eli Roth, and he nails horror movies. He just kills it. Um, but the show last night was kind of a combo of Hostel and Saw. This place, um, the movie was about a uh, guy that broke into a house that coincidentally was also being used as a torture house uh, by the bad guy. And the one thing I like about horror movies of old, or the ones I think that do well, are the horror movies that don't reveal the bad guy. Um, it's nice for the audience to share the same confusion as the um, main characters in the film. And this show did that. Like you saw the bad guy, but it was in this weird creep, creepy as hell mask. And uh, they never took it off. Like they did take it off, but they only showed the character reacting to it. So they did the old school thing. They didn't just blow their load and show the bad guy's face and then ruin it for all of us. And in the same spirit of Hostile, this movie did not... Um, I'll put in the description notes what this movie was called, because for the life of me, I just can't remember what it was. Um, this movie did not pull punches as far as gore. Um, everything from sewing uh, people's mouths shut to fingernails popping off as they be, they're being drug away. <laughs> it, it was it was cringeworthy. Even just saying it and remembering some of these visuals kind of gives you that... There's good horror movies to me are like that initial first drop on a roller coaster. You actually have your gut has this visceral sink feeling. Um, and when, uh, when I see fingernails crack off a finger in a movie, it, it gives me that feeling. I mean, I'm not morbid. I don't long for that sickness, but it's, it means you're into the movie when it actually literally affects you physiologically. Like if you're hooked up to biofeedback, a good horror movie will show that you're into it. Um, and so that movie was awesome. I'm not going to give away the plot or any, anything beyond that, but it was a clever story that had yet to be done. Um, in this, I don't know how people write original movies right now or original scripts because there's just so much out there. Uh, but I, I'm in awe of an original idea, so I'm, I'm really impressed with it. Um, the show nailed it. Uh, it didn't reveal the bad guy. 
Um, it had a clever plot line. I mean, again, like I can compare it to Hostel and Saw, but I think you do that with anything is when you say it's a combination of this and this. When somebody designs a new car, I'm sure in the pitch, the pitch room, they're, they're like, well, it's a, it's a combination of Rolls Royce and a Suburban. You know, they're always going to do that to help paint a picture as to what it is. So just because I said it was like Saw or Hostel, that's just to kind of give you uh, uh, acclimated to what the film is going to f- put you through. Uh, good movie. Again, horrible movie review since I don't know, remember the name of it, but I just wanted to talk horror movies in general. And then the other horror movie I still need to finish. It was in the spirit of what's being called found footage horror movies. The uh, OG found footage was Blair Witch Project, um, which for me, I liked. And it actually scared me because I think Blair Witch was dependent on who's watching it. Um, if you have a messed up horror movie mind, you created the stuff that Blair Witch didn't show you, which is it's it's to me it's brilliance. If you're of that mindset, you'll create creepy stuff on your own. If you have a boring and kind of or not a, a horror boring innocent mind, uh, like my mother when she saw Blair Witch, she was like, "What? I don't get it," because she doesn't have a messed up mind to create this horrible backstory of things that are going on that the uh, movie wouldn't show you. So I filled in a lot of the gaps. Um, this movie last night, um, it was called Stand By. It's the hold music. Hold music. Okay, it was called Grave Encounters. It was a movie made in 2011. Like I said, it was in the spirit of found footage um, horror movie. So it, it really, they're, that gimmick with found footage is that they s- somehow work into the plot that somebody has to be carrying. Oh, God, only two cups of, two mugs of coffee. How can I be yawning? Uh, but they use um, the uh, plot device of somebody having to hold a camera, whether it's a camera crew or a documentary student, to make the viewer, us, get constant first-person point of views in the film so you feel like you're in it, very voyeuristic. Um, and this follows a uh, found footage concept, and the plot is about, I just got the plot wrong, that was, or the name of it, that's not it either, Grave Encounters. I watched three horror movies yesterday. So this one I'm talking about, don't know what it's called either. Boy, this is a horrible movie review, but it's more the concept of horror movies I'm discussing. Uh, This does the found footage thing really well, and it sucks you in. And the cool thing about this found footage ones that work is that they, if they do it right, they know that we know that we're looking for stuff in the background. So always trying to find a clever way to do that. You know, the something moving in the background that the main characters don't see. That always gets us. Um, and this movie did just that. And the one movie I got right that I actually remember the name of, it's one called um, uh, Grave Encounters. Um, it is a, another found footage concept. Um, and it's actually a funny, it almost makes fun of itself. Because it talks about, the premise is that there's a one of those haunted haunted uh reality tv shows that goes to haunted houses and and investigates them so the movie we're watching is a crew doing that and they actually kind of break the fourth wall in that they they show us the audience what happens when they call cut on these reality tv shows but ironically in the movie they actually end up at a real place that's haunted and full of horrors and again it was a clever twist because the found footage movies aren't ever going to be there you can't reinvent that but the plot you plug in within those found footage movies, that's what can kind of make or break you. So the lot, the two I was mentioning, they were clever takes on it. So they took good horror movie plots and they happened to film it using the found footage concept. So I think a lot of the failures, like Paranormal Activity rocked. It was one of the good ones where you had a very uncomfortable feeling of found footage material movies. Um, and they got a plot with it. Sadly, the sequels, they just kind of filled in the blanks and did it again with the same plot. These other found footage ones, the ones that are still kicking ass and doing good, are the ones that take a good horror movie plot and go, okay, we're just going to film it like found footage. How can we do that? Whereas the ones that are just checking the boxes that go, we want to make a found footage movie. Uh, let's plug a plot into it. That's a bunch of bull crap. So that is my nerd rant on horror movies. So step into church with me, find some weights, uh, treadmill, some sort of Olympic bar, do some crazy powerlifting, whatever it is. But let's talk some fitness. Okay, I'm gonna get a bow flex. 
I'm going to commit. I'm going to get some dumbbells. You know you can't eat dumbbells, right? And since the show is just on its uh, virgin week of being air of airing and uh, being broadcast, I figured I'd kind of start at the beginning and touch on fitness diets and trends I've done so people kind of have an idea where I'm coming from and um, so they can give me uh, a little bit of credit and rely on me for some opinions. Uh, again, I'm not a doctor. Consult your physician before trying, trying, starting any fitness program. <laughs> um, long story short, I started training in... I want to say ninth grade, I started getting really tall and I hated it. Um, I hated feeling like Ichabod Crane. And so my father and mother, to their credit, um, they were extremely sweet and they bought me like a, a knockoff Bowflex. Um, just they used uh, their marketing shtick was that they use like these rubber band things. And it's funny because they've been, uh, at the end of the day, it was all about diet. But uh, they bought me that, and I, that is when I started working out before my day started. And I've uh, pretty much done it ever since or preferred it ever since. Um, I love starting my day with a workout. Um, it's Obviously, you need to compensate by going to bed early. But that's where it all began. Um, I, what, how was it, ninth grade? No, I think it was seventh grade. No, it was seventh grade. So, uh, yeah, seventh grade. I'm not going to tell you what year that was. But uh, I was in seventh grade and, and junior high, and that's when I would wake up. My the the, the little knockoff Bowflex was in my bedroom, so I'd wake up, and um, actually, that's actually also when I started drinking coffee. <laughs> it makes sense, and I'd uh, head over to the Bowflex and do resistance training. Um, I had no idea really what I was doing, but that's where it all began. Um, I actually started probably more around 10th or 11th grade so high school that's where I started actually paying attention to what I ate and keeping some sort of food journal and then I uh, did that through high school and then in uh, college that's where I started going uh, big time with uh, having a scale I would take the scale to the cafeteria and actually tracking my macros and all that so um, I've been doing in this for now um, I'll I'll let me think. I started in 1993. It's 2018, so you do the math. But I've been somehow involved in fitness and nutrition since then. Not a single certification because I don't care about it. Um, I long to have that as it's part of my life and a supplement uh, to my, and it's been a synergist to my careers, um, present one included. And so I don't uh, care to have all those things, but I, I, I have a lot of experience. I'll put it that way. Um, so. I thought I'd touch on the things I've done as far as diets and maybe trends. Um, as far as weight training, I've never really succumbed to many uh, styles or gimmicks per se. Um, foundationally, I've always done weight resistance, uh, some sort of resistance training. Um, I'm just going to refer to it from here on out as bodybuilding training, you know, like doing bicep curls to get bigger biceps, etc. Um, that's always been my foundation from day zero. And uh, that's never really deviated. Even now, presently, I still incorporate that style of weight training into my current routine. Um, and as the years went on, it was most—it was all more or less for looks and uh, cardio. I did for aesthetic and fat loss, but you know, all of it had an incidental bonus of work, uh, making my body more healthy inside. You know, I—I I had my labs run throughout the years. I have many, 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 many years of labs um, showing my. Um, health status. Oh, excuse me. That's where the coffee comes in. I apologize. Um, so as far as that resistance training wise, that's pretty much been a constant. Uh, when I joined the army, um, I didn't have a gym membership for a very long time, uh, because it's a different kind of life. Um, I pretty much trained to do my job well and at the time that's when crossfit was first hitting the scene and whether you love it or hate it or you think it's a cult it it's workouts um under proper guidance or with proper experience fulfilled my need as a green beret quite well um, we have to have great endurance uh, we have to have great power great quick power you know bursts of power great strength great i mean you name it we have to have it of some sort Obviously, I mean, I'm not a big runner, uh, but CrossFit helped me at least get through that. And I did those kind of circuit-esque, CrossFit-esque uh, weight training most of my military career. It wasn't until the tail end where I actually got a gym membership again and started adding bodybuilding working out to my routines. 
Um, and I'm going to refer to the CrossFit Jim Jones stuff as quote unquote functional fitness. Um, and, uh, to me, that's just what it is. It's, it, it was functional. So, um, that was the only other stuff I did. And it's kind of come full circle, ironically, as of a couple months ago, I joined up with Jim Jones, uh, the current, um, owner, uh, Lisa Bouchard, Bouchard, I'm probably saying the name wrong. Uh, her and I, and a couple of her, uh, workers, Johnny Primo, uh, he's a former Green Beret and a gentleman named Jake Hutchinson, uh, all of Jim Jones in Salt Lake. Uh, Primo is a Green Beret and, uh, Hutchinson was a former Marine. Um, they reached out to me and we've been working together and, uh, I do Jim Jones workouts, uh, four days a week and in bodybuilding workouts the other days of the week. So that's been my experience with, uh, training styles. And then as far as diet trends, I am the billboard for have done it, tried it and hoped it would work. Um, as for any gimmick, um, and any legitimate, uh, thing out there I've tried, um, back in the Mark McGuire days, I was praying and endostendione or whatever it's called was, would be the thing to, you know, change my life. Um, and basically that's one of the messages I want to give everybody is if it's too good to be true, or if it makes things way easier, it's probably either steroids and extremely unhealthy and, and depending on what circle you travel in cheating, uh, or it's just a straight up gimmick. So at the end of the day, hard work, uh, is the only thing that is, is the tried and true, uh, hard work and then, you know, nutrition and then the weight training. But, um, as far as diets, um, currently everything that's going around, I have tried the keto diet. Uh, I could care less. It didn't work for me. Uh, the science behind it, there's obviously two giant schools of thought. Joe Rogan just had two, um, scientists and fitness enthusiasts on his show debating keto um, I'm of the school of thought, ironically, as the years have passed, because I went keto for a long time. I've been massively, um, calorically, uh, deficient for way long. I mean, I'm 240 pounds at my peak. I was 285 pounds. I was a big boy, uh, muscle wise. And, uh, I was very calorically deficient. I was having up at the most, maybe 2,100 calories. That's extremely stupid. And so, um, I'm going to actually hit pause here and there's going to be a weird little beat here. Cause I want to make sure the audio is going. Okay. Okay, good. Better safe than sorry. Um, and so, yeah, keto. Here's the thing is everything I've ever done in retrospect, nothing made me go, oh my God, this is a, as seen on TV, too good to be true. My life has changed process. Um, and that's this, that's the only things that have been that way. Nothing is that way, really. Uh, the things that are, oh my God, too good to be true as seen on TV are long, hard work, uh, especially very, uh, focused and dedicated diet. And then the training you do is incidental. Um, so nothing really was like life changing. So whether I went keto and then I switched years later, nothing changed, nothing was drastic. The things that showed drastic, noticeable, no shit results were when I started weighing my food and sticking with what I was eating consistently, consistent, consistent, consistent. And so for me, I know only from trial and error and trial and lack of amazing, you know, miraculous results that the end, at the end of the day, it's existing in a caloric deficit. If you're doing keto and in a caloric deficit, you're in a caloric deficit, no more than if you're eating high carb and in a caloric deficit. Um, I am now, as the years have gone on, I'm getting a little bit more uh, mature and, uh, less wide eyed about all the crap that's out there. I am now over the mind of calories. Your body doesn't know if this calorie came from carbs or fat or protein. So at the end of the day, caloric deficit wins all, um, and then tracking your macros and then the ratio of your macros is whatever. Um, so as far as diet trends, I ever followed the biggest trend I fell into for a while was, um, the keto diet, not life changing. It is what it is, but it was, I was in a caloric deficit. So it worked because I was in, and I believe it worked because I was in a caloric deficit, not because I was in ketosis. You know, I bought the little keto strips and pissed on them and I was pissing ketones and it, it didn't change my world. Um, and I say all this with a grain of salt and I apologize if I offend anybody here, but all the, uh, keto, uh, believers or the, some of the people are almost like a cult. So I'll say the keto cultists, um, every one of them that preaches it, and this is the same for like intermittent fasting. 
none of them are really that great in shape. Um, a lot of them that are crazy cultists actually are an aesthetic I don't want. So uh, I don't want to judge a book by its cover, but it's ironic when it comes to fitness, health, and nutrition. The cover is kind of what you do judge it by, you know? So um, there are some people I know in the bodybuilding world that follow keto, and so I'd almost trust their a take on keto, assuming they're natural and not taking any performance-enhancing enhancing drugs. They may, uh, it might work for them. Everybody's different genetically, so that's the one thing is there's no one program. Uh, but at the end of the day, most people I know that are preaching keto aren't something I strive to be. And that's all the, everything I said about keto, same with intermittent fasting. I just did it not as long or, uh, tried it only relatively recently. Same thing. It's a caloric deficit. Um, I know I enjoy it only because it works with my schedule. And so if there is for some freak reason, uh, the fasting thing that does work, I just count, I just like have this little baby hope that there is something. Otherwise, it's just a convenient thing as far as my eating schedule. Once my day starts, I'm nonstop. So it's kind of nice to just hammer it in more toward in this small window of time because also because I have a big appetite. So living in a caloric deficit and you and doing intermittent fasting kind of helps you feel full. And in lieu of that, I kind of do, I currently do kind of a hybrid nutritionally of what I learned with Pauline and fighter diet and intermittent fasting. And intermittent fasting, I don't. I literally only do because of scheduling. I don't believe in this crazy uh, macrophage thing. I think of what it is what it's called, and uh, your cellular rebuild, all the crap that pre preaches intermittent fasting. I don't really care. The things I like about it is because I eat the same amount of foods in a smaller window as I feel full, and then you throw in the crap ton of food you eat with fighter diet. Man, that intermittent fasting, the window where you eat within that, it's a lot of food, and so you're very sustained. And again, I'm not out to be a bodybuilder. So the, the arguments for intermittent fasting and catabolism and burn, break, break down a little muscle, it's not like all of a sudden my biceps got smaller. Um, any poor results I'm having is because I'm not adhering to my nutrition uh, macro-wise macro and, and uh, calorically. So if, if I have a body fat issue, it's because I'm poor at my caloric deficit. It's not because I'm not or am intermittent fasting. It's not because I am or am not following fighter diet principles. It's because of what I'm putting in my mouth. And, uh, if there's a failure, it's on that part because I've been poor and eating too much or, uh, or even not enough. So there is the risk of that poor, poor intake can also make your body shut down. So that's kind of where I've come from. Uh, in summary, a lot of bodybuilding, uh, esque training, um, lots of circuit functional fitness training, currently bodybuilding training with Jim Jones training and a current hybrid of intermittent fasting with uh, Pauline Nordine's fighter diet. So I hope that gives you something. Again, uh, we can chat on this more and ask more questions and establish a dialogue. Just email me, fans at jeffbosley.com, and we can continue to elaborate on the world of fitness. And many of you know me as the guy trying to make it out here in Hollywood. And so I'd be amiss if I didn't try to help you uh, current actors or wannabe actors or just actors trying to uh, get a little bit of insight from my experience. I'd be amiss if I didn't uh, talk about how my day went and teach you some stuff I learned today and I applied today. Well, I'm an actor, right? So I got to keep my emotions right at the surface, you know? Everything I do in the acting section of my show is based on formal education and just, uh, if you want to call it street education, <laughs> um, in the world of Hollywood. And so, um, it's a lot of it's built off my experience, um, being theatrically trained on stage and the many, 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 many years I've taken acting classes and, and various conservatories and, and workshops. And I spent a lot of time training on the flip side. I spent a lot of time adapting and overcoming based on the rules of the system. You know, don't hate the player, hate the game. And sometimes that game Hollywood is pretty unforgiving. And so I kind of take what I know and then apply it as needed. Uh, one of those perfect examples is something that happened to me today. Uh, so when you're building a character, um, it should come from a place of purity. In film, theater, TV, you should be designing a character based on that, what feels right and what uh, what is organic. And I hate that word, but what is organic? However, I need to look at a note here. So I took today, actually. There's a phrase. I don't know who said it originally, but I've heard it multiple times. It's It's the foundation of what I believe is when you're uh, acting and creating a character is to uh, live realistically in imagined circumstances. 
So that means you as the actor, you lose yourself and you are living realistically in imagined circumstances. In more um, normal shows or normal movies or whatever where it's based on a lot more reality, that's kind of quote-unquote easier. But if you think about it, if you're playing like some character in some crazy science fiction movie where you as the actor would think to yourself, I would never do this, that's where you're wrong. You need to live realistically in those imagined circumstances. You need to have done your actor's homework. You need to have built that character so the reactions and the thought processes you have as the actor slash character match the script you've been giving. The script is the foundation of what you've built. So that, with all that being said, that's how that is the foundation of creating a character and acting and etc. However, then there's the business side of it. And this is something I do, and I don't know if it's right or wrong or whatever, but it's something I do. So today's audition, um, it was a big role. The character had to, he was kind of the, he ran the prison from the inside. He was like the number two man to the main bad guy that runs the prison. And then auditions are a weird little beast because you're only given so much. So you got to create a character from a lot more uh, out of the blue. But the character description mentioned that he's unhinged, very maniacal. He's a cocaine addict and he's very up, up and down and unpredictable and violent. So with that, I had kind of a loose character created and a lot of decisions loosely based on the script and the stage directions and all that. So I kind of built something I had, but again, it was moldable and ready to kind of flex. One of those things I do and I flex when I get to an audition is when I'm there, I try to get there 30 to 20 minutes early and not that this should drive your performance, but I also let it kind of be a factor in my performance. When I got there, I could hear the other actors going in there and they all did the exact same thing. Now, don't do something different for the sake of being different. The casting directors, the producers, the filmmakers, they might want that same thing that everybody's done, but you might have a different look that matches it. So it's not necessarily don't do it for the sake of being different. However, what they were doing, I didn't think A was interesting and B matched the character description. So based on what they were doing, it settled me in making a completely uh, different choice. All their stuff was very, and I'm not judging, but all their stuff was very cliche stuff we've seen in any prison movie with a bad guy. Very cookie cutter bad guy drug roles. None of them adhered to the character description of being unhinged, violent, and unpredictable, and and basically bipolar. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to fulfill a couple rules of auditioning that I've kind of made. Is You want to be remembered, not be, not in a weird way, like don't go in there and make an ass of yourself or do something weird just for the sake of being weird. But if you're memorable, memorable because you're polite or because you look like somebody you want to work with or because of how you treat them and or because of your performance, that's a way to be memorable. So I, a way I wanted to be memorable was my performance. Um, I'm very polite and all that, but my performance that I had already kind of pre-tailored was quite a bit more maniacal than what everybody else had been doing. And so since everybody else had been doing the same thing, that made me go, you know what, screw it. I'm going to be remembered because they've been hearing the same thing all day long. And again, I justified it because it not only was it memorable and it's something I felt right, it matched the character description, I think, better. Uh, acting is a th subjective art, so there's no right or wrong answer. So my performance was very up and down, very bipolar, very maniacal, kind of almost Joker-esque, uh, kind of Heath Ledger Joker-esque. I, I don't emulate other performances, but that's probably the closest thing I can come to is, is his up and down, his very uh, neutral delivery of some terrifying lines, and then his maniacal extreme of others. Um, it was actually kind of a Heath Ledger-Jared Leto combo, to be honest with you. And um, I honestly think it worked. I may or may not get the role. There's a bajillion reasons why I could or could not get it, whatever. But that's something I want other new actors or actors to maybe consider is it's go in there early and listen to other people's performances. If you've ever run an audition and you've heard eight hours of the same thing, you might long for a different performance, even if it's wrong. At least it's different. So even if my argument is it matched the character description and I gave this guy at least some variety in a day that he's just seen the same thing over and over and over again for eight hours. So I gave him something that I think matched the character description, and I think gave him something that at least gave him a little variety in his soul-sucking day, <laughs> you know. So actors consider that, you know, be different, but have a reason to be different. Give them something to stand out, especially, I mean, there's a lot of things people don't think about. If you're the one o'clock audition, they just had lunch, they've had a long day, they're tired, they're kind of in that post-Thanksgiving exhaustion, digesting their food. Throw 
throw in a just throw it in Adam and give him something new, you know, get him, wake him up a little bit. Um, again, don't do it for the sake of doing it because that's not going to be genuine. And that's going to be very trans, very obvious how, uh, you're just doing it different for the sake of being different. And that's a bunch of crap. But if it's something you can do to give, wake him up, give him a little bit of like, Hey, I remember that guy. And worst case scenario, they might go, that dude was wrong. But when he introduced himself, he was a very kind, polite, um, very professional, stern looking dude as Jeff Bosley. And the fact I could go to this maniacal place with this crazy high-pitched laugh, let them know, wow, this dude did something different we did not see coming. He will remember the guy, and but he's not right for the role. That's the worst-case scenario. And because at auditions, you don't get more than often than not a second chance at that audition. They're not If they really want to see you, they might redirect you and say, okay, that was awesome, but do this. But that's not often. It's a pretty fast judgment process, so... New actors, try that. Go in there, have a set idea, but get there early and see what everybody else is doing and see if your set idea can possibly uh, adapt to something a little bit more uh, maybe entertaining or diverse just to give them a little bit of change and also stand out. All right, hopefully this helps you book some jobs but doesn't take away work from me. And this brings us to the last part of our show where I talk to a friend. Today's friend is a good buddy of mine named Jesse. Uh, Wow, this dude is wise and funny, uh, satirical, uh, completely uh, educated about all things that are going on militarily, politically. Uh, Great father, uh, great husband, former military enlisted uh, infantryman, and then uh, mechanized infantry officer, uh, college-educated Dude is uh, very diverse, very well-spoken. Um, we get into a pretty dang good discussion here, one that you probably didn't see coming. Um, so please enjoy my conversation with Jesse. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. All right, so today, like I said, I'm joined by my buddy, Jesse. All, are you in Idaho right now, I assume? I am. All I the am. way. I live up in the land of potatoes. All the way, home, all the way from my home state of Idaho. And for those of you who don't I know, know, Idaho. I move here, you move away. <laughs> Right now. <laughs> well, I do miss my license plate that says "Famous Potatoes." Correct. You know, it's the best. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jesse, what you, I know today is like a big family day and down day. So, thank you for doing this. Uh, no, happy to help, homie. What do you got happy for day. us, buddy? I, I'm I I'm got, all pins uh, and needles. A, a lot of a lot of bitterness toward China. I'd love to hear uh, it. Oh, well, good. Um, so. Um, I, uh, I don't particularly have anything against the Chinese people, but uh, I have a I have a huge like chip on my shoulder against the Chinese government because they're they're basically corrupt turds. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and if there's one thing you can count on China for, it's it's doing things they say they're not going to do. Well, like let me and, let me uh, kind of do a little brief back to the listeners for two two tiers to this. Number one. If you're like me and you get all your news from uh, pop-up ads on Facebook, odds are you're very you're very misinformed, like me. Uh, Jesse is not that guy. He probably sees that stuff and can easily call BS on it because he knows what's real and what's not. Uh, and Jesse is extremely uh, savvy in the world of news and actually is pa- <laughs> maybe to a fault passionately cares about what he sees going on in the world. So, for those of you who don't know, for those who don't know, and this is kind of my clever way to throw it on uh, people listening as it's their fault, but I also don't know what's been going on with China lately that brings you to this 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 frustration. <laughs> so, or what isn't uh, going on with China? <laughs> exactly, yeah. You want that in alphabetical order? Or, or <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, just, I want to say two weeks ago, uh, China uh, ironed out the final wrinkles in their J-20 stealth fighter. Wow. They had an engine overheat problem. And no one was willing to tell China the technology to fix their stealth fighters because no one wants China to have stealth fighters. Uh, yeah, understand. Well, they did it in the house. They fixed their own problem, and now they have the J-20 stealth fighter, which is made to compete with our F-22 and mm-hmm. our F-35. Mm-hmm. They have it ready for mass production. Uncomfortable. Combined with the fact that they say they're saying that America is going to put like 400 F-35s and F-22s in the Pacific Theater. Ooh, okay. We so, don't have that many. Yeah, years. I was going to say. Yeah, that sounds like a amazing uh, militaristic bluff. Yeah, and so they're saying they want parity with what we're going to have. They want to be uh, at least equal, if not superior to us. So you're saying China is 
bought the bluff, and as an ironic result, they're actually trying to match a number that is not real. I don't think there was ever a plan to put anything like that out there. I think they're trying to achieve dominance uh, using this as a ruse. I think ah. they're saying like, oh, we heard somewhere that they want 400, so we want 400. So they're just saying, we, we'll, yeah, like, we, we see you and raise you. Like that, yeah, yeah, they, they're, China's, China's very known for like, oh, we see you and we raise you one. Yes, before we even like lay cards on the table. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, we're playing go fish, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. uh, China's at the poker but, table when somebody, before they lay down their hand, they just lay down their pistol on the table. <laughs> like, a, like, like in mafia movies. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. But uh, the other day they conducted, or I guess a few months back, they conducted sea trials of the new J-20. And it's just, you know, because there's different atmospherics, there's different uh, uh, conditions flying over water than there is flying over land. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. I never thought of that. They performed brilliantly, and they flew right to the edge of Taiwanese airspace. God. China just loves it. China just loves kind of showing everybody what they got and walking around and doing the helicopter with it. And they do. <laughs> just they on do. the border. They just, they just put their own. They, they, they had one aircraft carrier in the South China Sea. It was based on an old Russian hull that they never completed. They just put another one to see that their own design. They have four more on order. Carriers. They are very aggressively, very rapidly building their military force. Yeah, I was going to say, what now, this will be ignorant, but I also want you to explain, what, uh, whether, whether it's known or you're speculating just as you, what is the reasoning for this? I mean, they're basically, from the outside looking in, they're, they're posturing. What, what's, why? China is at war with us. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, well, I mean, because in America, we, in America, we tend to think of war as military action. Like shooting each other. Yeah, yeah, we're shooting guns. And right. yeah, this is, yeah, they kind of it's forget what happened with the Cold War. Chinese philosophy is much different. They view war as a, as kind of a gestalt. It's, 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 it is military, of course. Yeah. But it's also political. It's also economic. It's also oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, that's, I mean, Jesse knows in, intimately where I came from and had, right, there was right. enough of an overlap but I mean it is unconventional warfare those who don't know the best one of the best ways to win a war is the easiest simplest most minuscule way back in Vietnam I want to say they were Green Beret teams at the time or even like lerps or not but it, it wasn't unheard of for them to get uh, I think they used speakers or they just made they made their force or their unit sound louder than it was and they would win wars just by sheer mind trickery and, Absolutely. and not that without the a origins of, uh, of psyop. That's where I came from. Yeah, exactly. And that's where Jesse comes from. Is psyops, and for those who don't know, it's, it's psychological operations. It's basically bluffing and winning a war. Uh, I mean, I, I joke about it in Hollywood. It's all psych. It's everything you do is psychological operations because you're the Correct. you're the pat. America or uneducated maybe Americans assume a fight or a war is done with blood, bullets, and fists, and. The six and a half foot guy with tattoos and muscles can win a war just as easily with a clever inception of an idea and casually walk away without even breaking a sweat. And that's kind of what absolutely. And that's what China absolutely. and all of the, its allies have been doing. I hate it. Correct me if I'm wrong. They're good at it. Is the problem? They're good at it. Is the problem? They're very good at it. They're very very astute. Yeah, and it's and it's. I always liken it to my metaphor has always been like IEDs. Um, I still think, and I, I will drop an occasional swear in this show. This is one of them. It's chicken shit warfare because it's not man to man. It's it's it's. Right. It, but objectively speaking, it's brilliant. It costs ten cents. It demoralizes the enemy. It can take out proportionately an astronomical more of a force than it took to make the dang IED. And uh, I mean, and that's. The, the Russians did it after the uh, the Afghans did it against the Russians. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's why they're you know, and that's why that yeah, country is just littered with million dollar ruble, you know, high and speed attack helicopter. Uh, yeah. Okay, what we're gonna do is tie some dynamite to a kite and fly it up into the <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's chickasheet warfare, but if you think about it, it works, and it's it's it it's does. it's. Hey, I don't want to use the word brilliant. It's not stupid. Yeah, exactly. It, it, they're not stupid, and everybody assumes the enemy, whether you want to say the enemy, quote unquote, is China or some Taliban guy on the side of a road with some concrete and uh, fertilizer. They're not stupid. You know, they might not be American Western bright, but they're also not stupid. It doesn't, cavemen, cavemen have been fighting since caveman times and it didn't, you didn't have to be a Harvard graduate to fight. The, the difference is Americans tend to equate education with intelligence. 
Ig- oh, that's the quote of the day. Quote of the day. Yeah. Uh, these people are by no means stupid. They are very, very intelligent. Yeah. They're just not educated by a Western standard. Yeah. What's China's end game? Like, what's their scary. what's their long game here? Like, what's their long con? In your opinion, their long con is 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 dominance. Just world dominance. It's, just that. It, honestly, uh, gospel according to Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> because did, did you know they're setting up uh, the Chinese are also setting up a uh, a military base in Afghanistan. I did see that, and that, again, it only goes back to, I think I saw it on CNN at the gym, where I also get the second half of my news outside of Facebook, sadly. Um, yeah, it yeah. seems like they have like a couple hundred year running game. I mean, they, they they have the patience. I mean, again, you go back to all the Eastern thought, like the Eastern work ethic, whether you're, I mean, just from my innocent experience when I was in... Chinese companies with a thousand year business plan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The instant gratification does not apply to that culture. Nope. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> you know, they also have a military base in Africa. Yeah, yeah, they know what they're doing. They're planting a lot and of good seeds. Djibouti, they're, they're positioning themselves to control the uh, uh, Suez Canal. You, they, no. control, they will have control, military control over what gets to Europe from Asia. That's astonishing. Well, and if you think about it, that's... If I mean, I'm highly speculative. They're just sitting there quietly. I mean, not so quietly. They're still doing this posturing bullcrap, but they're still <laughs> sitting there going, we're going to just chill here for a minute, make, you know, get all of our uh, chess pieces ready for when America that's pulls exactly out. Because for America, 15 years. Chess. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, for us to sit around in Iraq or the Middle East for 15 years, that's for <laughs> Americans a long war. China's like, cool, we're ready to be there in 20, and we'll be there the next 80 or 100 or, or forever in their hope. Correct. Correct, yeah. So you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, Americans tend to think of things like, oh, well, you know, what, what, what are we going to do if China calls in our debt? We'll be broke. No, <laughs> dude, China's not going to do that right now yeah. because they finance their entire economy on our debt. If, they, if, if our debt goes away, if our economy collapses, their economy collapses. For sure. Yeah, I mean, anybody well, I listening right now, look good. at their electronic, and I mean, I, this sounds yeah. extremely uh, elitist, but look at any of your electronics. Odds are, rotated on the back, it will not be say it will not say made in Wisconsin. No, not not likely. <laughs> <laughs> so what's what is? I mean, do you think just like anything? I mean, war has been going I on since the dawn of time. I think they are positioning themselves because they're buying up a lot of American real estate. They're buying up a lot of. American companies, yeah. and what I see them doing with the, with the Suez Canal, with the base in Afghanistan, and with all these different interests around the world, I think they're looking for an alternate means of income. I think they're making looking to make U.S. debt irrelevant. Like we can take this hit from their debt and not worry about it. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. And once they can do that, they can crash our economy. They still have an economy, and they can move in on us. Mother, yeah, mother they God, they yeah, economically viable to fight back. They are thinking definitely the long game for sure. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and that's the thing is, I mean, you always hear, and it's definitely in, in media and for sure as hell in, in movies, you know, where they plant like cells. China doesn't do that. They plant like they're they're big. They their big picture long game isn't like some kids they planted here in college to plant a, 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 a you know a bomb vest in some crowd you know twenty years later in college. You know, they, the fact they look at war with government, not government, that's pretty obvious, but like they look at war with business. Like if you own, I mean, what, if, if you own one of the most major or have fingers in one of the most major businesses in America and pull out uh, the stock, I mean, if you control the stock market, I mean, movies and books and fictional theories about if you could control the stock market just with one quick little crash. I mean, the Great Depression. That's a, that was a exactly. war. That yeah, was a war like, lost you financial. You have to own a hundred percent of Google. Yeah. To have an effect. Yeah. If you own twenty percent or fifteen percent of every Fortune five hundred company stock. Yeah. And you pull it all out. Yeah. Yeah. Done. And yeah, and in tech, I mean, tech is synonymous with China, and yeah. it, I'm I'm you this this very conversation it has. 80, 90% of its existence because of tech. The phone I'm talking to you on was made not in Idaho. Yeah, exactly. Wait, what? Uh, uh, sorry, man. I, I hate to break it to you. I've been trying to buy American, but uh, America doesn't make phones anymore. I, yeah, and that's the other thing. Is what? It, what? Okay, yeah, let me uh, be the uh, Joe Blow ignorant here. What? 
How, uh, it's classic American, uh, I'm the center of the universe. How does this affect me? Or is this just because Jesse knows military stuff and stays in touch? I mean, I mean, I'm obviously playing devil's advocate here. Like I care because of I think military people care because we we can we can understand what's going down. I don't think uh, the average American, you know, has anything to care about right now. Because this would be their grandkids' 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 problem, just like you know the environment or whatever. I mean, it's out of sight, out of mind. We're raising our kids to make sure that, you know, they still care about their eighth place trophy. <laughs> China is That'll be another show. You and I will have to do a show on that. <laughs> China's raising their kids to say, like, this is what's going to happen when we own yeah. India. Yeah. Or when we own, you know, the western half of the United States. Yeah, that's astonishing. Yeah, they're, they're uh, I just blank brain farted on um, the terrorist camp, if you will. Their version of a terrorist camp isn't some grungy running through uh, monkey bars with an AK on their back. Their, their terrorist camp is this crazy, intricate, long game of my grandkids, grandkids, grandkids will all profit from this and own the world. Um, Correct, yeah. yeah. What, what can... It sounds so interviewee, but like, what if people are like genuinely curious about this? Where, where's I guess a trusted source, if you will, like to kind of just be like, holy shit, this stuff is actually happening in the world. I mean, is are are there like reliable books or reliable sites that are actually kind of trying to state not conspiracy sites, but like, are there anything places that kind of keep people abreast of this crap that's going down, even if not just for? The problem is if you if you want to stay, uh, you know. Uh, ahead in, in, you know, in the media world, you can't publish conspiracy theory stuff. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, this stuff, a lot of this stuff does sound like conspiracy theory. This sounds like straight Alex Jones level crap right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the problem is, like, you know, I do this, I do this for my show, and, and I go to, like, 10 or 15 sites, and, I mean, and I, I, I pull together the pieces to form the big pictures, but, I mean, yeah. I did spend two years in military intelligence when I farted out the left half of my brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and it's, you know, you, you came out somewhat still normal, so. <laughs> mostly. I think it's because I got out early. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> early. Good, yeah. Ironic choice of words. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I, you know, I do this as, as you know, as research for, for my own business, and, and it takes a lot of effort to find this stuff. Yeah. And most people don't want to publish it because they don't want to, you know, be the one to cause a scare. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, uh, speaking of that, uh, well, A, do you have, um, uh, I guess, any more? Any more? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that wraps I up your to, China talk yeah, with Jesse. I gotta go to church now, man. Exactly. <laughs> I gotta go to church somehow. Yeah, purify your brain. Well, you mentioned your own show and your own business, your own podcast. Um, what what do you got going? Let's let's cross. We have, uh, well, I have along with a buddy of mine, uh, the Joe and the Jarhead. Is, we're on YouTube right now. We're just getting launched. Uh, hoping to go to podcast here in a bit, but uh, uh, Patreon's being kind of weird. Anyway, we'll have it up <laughs> in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, the Joe and the Jarhead, it's it's me and a, a Marine Corps buddy that I work with, and you know, Army and Marine play together like you know, fire and jet fuel. So oh yeah. We tend to have a lot of fun with it. With a with and, a uh, with a sledgehammer trying to put out the fire. Stories that the big networks miss. Oh totally, I dig it. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing is, I guess at the end of the day, when your the average Joe could go to places like um, what is it, Joe and the Jarhead? The Joe and the Jarhead. <laughs> I love it. Um, people can go to these places because you're you're not regulated by a, a I basically a conglomerate that needs to make headlines. So I mean, Correct. it's you know I guess that's where Americans need to be smart about you know picking your uh, resources is is what do they got to lose? Uh, Jesse doesn't. Exactly. You know I mean obviously he, he's everybody wants to get it stuff out there and 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 a numbers game so to speak. But if those numbers aren't putting food on your table like whether you're on the CNN side or the Fox News side or everywhere in between, I mean, everybody ha- right. they're out. Everybody's out to put food on their table with that stuff. So these kind of sites, God bless the internet, they allow. You know, next thing you know, they'll be Jesse with like an aluminum foil hat on. Uh, so that's where I'll probably I'll tell everybody to stop. I'll be like, stop following Jesse. I, I, yeah, I take it back. Stop following Jesse. But until that day comes, check him out on YouTube. Uh, 
I, I seriously, uh, we'll come back to it because Jesse not only is military and politically savvy, uh, his, his perspective on life and parenting and since I don't have kids, but we both, we touched on it a little bit here with the, um, uh, getting a trophy for eighth place. Jesse and I, I'm sure can rant on that for a good 15, 20 minutes. So that, that would not be difficult. Yeah. We'll definitely come back to that. So, uh, if there's anything else, if there's not, we'll, call to show and uh i like it cool thanks brother I, i'll not hang up happy, happy to be here yeah thanks for having me of course don't hang up on me uh we'll talk to you next time and everybody that was jesse coin thanks buddy hey thank you bro all right and thus concludes wednesday october 3rd show number three uh as i always say but i sincerely always mean thank you so much for your time and your support spreading the word um, I'm making this my job, and like I say, as such, you are my customers, and I value my existence is because of you. That's always been the same with film and TV for me, and it's now this way for this podcast. So this is your product, and with that being said, please feel free to chime in on the Patreon page on the show's uh, feed itself, or you're welcome to just simply email me, fans at jeffbosley.com, and I will interact extremely frequently uh because the show is your show i want to make I, I listen to the show when i'm editing it but i don't put the podcast on when i'm driving to the gym or to an audition or work so um this is for you and your entertainment so i strive to make it great for you uh with that being said patreon.com forward slash jeff bosley please share it with your friends um and take care have a great day go forth conquer kick ass adios adios